0: Well, we're going to start now as we go through the Gospel of John. <clears throat> we're starting chapter 5. You may remember we just went through a block from chapter 2, the miracle at Cana, to back in chapter 4, uh, and the second miracle at Cana, the healing of the royal official's son. Now, um, Jesus will leave Judea. I'm sorry. Um, Jesus will. Uh, leave the north and go south again. Um, our text reads, after this, that is the miracle in uh, K- Canaan, it was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, John doesn't specify what feast it is. Throughout the gospel, there will always be these feasts. One of the um, basic principles of John's whole theology is that Jesus in his death and resurrection has fulfilled and brought to a perfection all the liturgical life of Judaism which was given to them by God and now is fulfilled at this particular time he doesn't tell us what faith, he just says it's unspecified Jesus went up to Jerusalem with this notice we begin a whole section which is dedicated to Jesus' relation to the major feasts of Judaism. There's Sabbath, as we're going to find out as we go through this uh, healing of the man at the pool. And then uh, there's a Passover in chapter 6. And then there's um, the man born blind in chapter 9. The Raising of Lazarus in chapter 11. The last one not, but the others are all uh, Feast of Sukkot, Passover, and so forth, as we'll see. Why? Well, when we take the time, we're going to look at this text first. What is liturgy biblically? And how does Jesus fulfill and bring to perfection the... uh, feasts of the Old Testament after all Christmas of course is the birth of Jesus but Passover is our Easter uh, Pentecost is our Pentecost and so we continue to celebrate these realities as they have been brought to a new level by our Lord Jesus Christ John is very strong on this and that's why I've given you an example of there. Um, you see, the Sabbath, and Passover, then Sukkot, then the Feast of the Dedication, and Chania, the last one. Now, right away, John says, there is at the Sheep Gate a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda with five porticoes. Now, this would set a lot of people thinking. You see, five porticoes, they make a pentagon, Why is there five? Is that John's just saying, there's five books to the law and this is going to be fulfilled? What, you know? Well, this is the advantage of archaeology. They dug it up. And it's not a pentagon. It's a big rectangle with a wall through the middle of it. That's the five sides. And that was surmounted and accompanied, as far as the archaeologists are concerned, and what they can reproduce by a splendid building. Now, this pool uh, was probably a healing shrine before the the Israelites took Jerusalem. Now, it's a place. And as you know, there's this um, uh, variant in this text at a moment when the angel comes and uh, moves the water, and the first one in gets healed. There's certainly something being evoked there. Probably, not only is Jesus going to fulfill Sabbath, he's going to fulfill the pagan longing for healing if we're correct about the nature of that pool. I've seen it. It's right there at the White Fathers' place um, in Jerusalem. It's way down now because, you know, cities build up over the centuries. And it's... um, a big, long, rectangular pool with a wall through the middle. Okay. So that's near the Sheep Gate. See, with five porticos, or uh, however you want to put that, porches. Um, so it was a very magnificent structure at one time. Now, John also goes on then to tell us that there was a large number of the ill, blind, lame, and crippled, were in the porticoes at the pool, hoping for the healings. Now, in most of our texts, we leave out this variant, that is, uh, verse 4. If you notice in your Bible, the text goes from verse 3 to verse 5. And maybe sometimes they put 4 in parentheses. Verse 4 reads, but the um, textual critics tell us it's not part of the text, but it reflects a tradition about this pool. For from time to time, an angel of the Lord used to come down into the pool, and the water was stirred up. So the first one to get in after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease afflicted him. There's an allusion to that, as we're going to see in the dialogue between um, Jesus and the paralytic. So, Jesus goes to an unnamed feast. He goes to this pool, which is not far. When you're at the pool and you look north, you see the outside wall of the temple, right close to the temple, uh, or what is now the mosque. Um, okay. Now, then we're told there was a man there for 38 years. And we know later, from what is said a few verses down, he was paralyzed. This is very interesting. Often, when there's a question of paralysis, there's a question of sin in the New Testament. Remember the story of the man led down through the roof, right? And our Lord said to him first, courage your sins are forgiven and then get, take up your mat and go home and there's an allusion to something like that uh, with Paul on the island of Malta uh, so uh, Jesus asked him directly do you want to be well the man replied with some desperation that seemed impossible he never could arrive first at the pool and take advantage of the opportunity Because he was paralyzed. Then in words similar to the other New Testament accounts of the healing of the lame, like the one I just mentioned in Mark, rise, take up your mat, and walk. The man did exactly that. The man became immediately well, took up his mat, and walked. Jesus brought healing to a very sick man who longed to remain well, to to become well, but it was unable to help himself. See, by enabling this this paralyzed man to walk, Jesus enacts in his ministry the whole purpose of his coming, to enable us to get over our paralysis. Or even in the healing ministry, as uh, the text says in Isaiah 35, which our Lord alludes to in his response to John the Baptist, I will open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf will be heard, the lame will leap like a stag. Then, the last line of this section, which is full of foreboding. The text says, Now that day was a Sabbath. Then you have to ask yourself, Jesus knows very well it's a Sabbath. Why is he doing it? The time has come for direct confrontation. And so he heals this man knowing full well what's going to occur and give him a chance to make his claim in a public way that the Pharisees there, there. Uh, though he certainly wants to heal the blind man, the, the lame man as well. And so, you um, see now, uh, we have this whole notion. Huh? Uh, it's a physical sign, huh? this healing. The Lord heals us and enables us to walk, even if we're not paralyzed. And sin does paralyze, doesn't it? If we're in sin, we're uneasy, we're not happy, we don't like to relate to people, we're paralyzed, even if it's not physical. And so, uh, it's a physical demonstration of what Jesus did also spiritually. Now we move to the next section. Chapter five, verses ten to eighteen, which is the beginning of the controversy, who can work on the Sabbath? So I'll start reading the text, and then we'll take a little break. Um, the Jews said to the man who was cured, "It is the Sabbath. Now you have to be." <coughs> 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 You have to be alert. When John says the word the Jews, most of the time, he means the leading factors in Jerusalem who were opposed to Jesus. He doesn't mean all the Jews, Jews in Palestine, or all the Jews in the Diaspora. It's uh, these people mostly. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. That's true. You're not allowed to carry a mat on the Shabbat. Okay. Okay. He answered them, The man who made me well told me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who told you? Take up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. Jesus had slipped away, and there was a crowd. Then, after this, you can see how our Lord is orchestrating this confrontation. After this, Jesus found him in the temple area and said to him, Look, you are well. Do not sin anymore. Notice again the relationship, sin and paralysis, so that nothing worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jews that Jesus was the one who made him well. Now listen to what happens. Therefore, the Jews began to persecute Jesus because he did this on a Sabbath. Jesus answered them, and this is very important, My father is at work until now, and I am at work. Now, for this reason, the Jews tried all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also called God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, there's something to this, you see. In the legislation that we have later, um, and the discussion, I I want to read part of this for you. Um, see, we have to understand the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. No work was to be done. Now, the motive in Exodus is to honor God's rest on creation. The motive in Deuteronomy is you were once a slave, now let your slaves go free. Remember that God gave you rest, okay? Um, now, so it's a perpetual covenant. And so, you have that notion. The legislation began, as I'm going to point out in a moment, to say, well, God still maintains reality and still gives life, even though it's Shabbat. And it says that he rested. But he doesn't rest completely. He works on the Sabbath. Huh? Um, And so, the Jews want to know who this man is. Now, when he ends, you see, this section, he says, um, see, they told, uh, the man told the, the leaders it was Jesus. So we'll stop and take a break now and then go on with this.